The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. I hope you have enjoyed the win total so far. Pac-12, Big 12, all in the books. ACC, Big 10, SEC still to come. I will be doing the ACC, releasing that on Tuesday of next week. We will be doing uh, either the Atlantic or Coastal. The other division will follow on the Thursday. Uh, We are here with you recording on this Friday morning. Not all of the media days are in the books, but... We've got the SEC and the ACC are done. Uh, the Big 12 is done. Big 10 is almost done. And before we get out of here, Barton, uh, we'll at least give a little bit of a preview, at least what we want to hear or expecting to hear from the Pac-12 coaches. The the gen- While we have uh, a lot to sort of chew on and kick around for today, I do feel almost um, a, a sense of relief that, you know, like, uh, Larry Fedora is not saying that the country's going down the drain because football is uh, is being under attack. We don't have Urban Meyer and the Zach Smith thing. Like we we have thus far, and we can knock on wood. We've been kind of scandal free through the first uh, five days of the media day season. Yeah, I I mean when the scandals are happening, it's I, I hate to say it, but it's almost I don't know. It's 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 very engaging. You sort of are constantly checking for the next update. You're, it's, it's juicy. But I think the absence of scandal right now, for, I'm surprised to say it's, it is a little refreshing. I'm kind of glad that it's just we can just focus on ball and, um, and, and yeah, smack, it was, smack the, talk. The, 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 the like, media days haven't really presented a whole lot of, of craziness just yet. So maybe maybe the Pac-12 can supply it. Well, I, I wanted to begin with some smack talk because that's not true controversy. True controversy uh, to me is when like someone is being hurt or there is a some kind of victim in some sense. And there is no victim. Right. There is only winners. When Clemson is in Charlotte and when Alabama is in Hoover, they're both speaking to the media on the exact same day and it is just throwing jabs back and forth. Um, the how what's you from your seat? Um, where where did it start to get interesting? And and how much uh, did how much did you allow yourself to be entertained by this back and forth between these two programs? Well, it, it actually. So I, I guess I don't know where the I don't know who threw the first punch. Alabama. The first. Uh, Right. So it was is the first punch Nick Saban saying we were distracted? Is that the first punch? It is uh Nick Nick Saban saying that we were distracted and we weren't well prepared is kind of the first punch. The one that stuck and the one that led to responses from Clemson's players was specifically Dylan Moses saying that Clemson wasn't the best team that we played last year. <laughs> and then uh and then Clemson guys started saying, well, Notre Dame was better than Alabama. 
And then I even saw Kevon Wallace say Texas A&M was the best team we played last year. And then Paul, <laughs> Paul yeah, yeah, yeah. Five dies <laughs> in and like comes to the comes to the defense of of the of the SEC and and then Trevor Lawrence like Trevor Jesus Lawrence <laughs> yes yes uh G, you know Jesus Christ of Carrollton uh Trevor Lawrence comes comes over the top of Paul Feinbaum and, and just very simply says unprofessional <laughs> uh I love it yeah. I I I love it I mean it's and 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 I mean Alabama is playing right into the Roy Bus hands mm-hmm. right now. I mean mm-hmm. Dad was gonna have a field day with this stuff, and and I I'm not I, I I don't appreciate Alabama giving Clemson more like we're underdogs fodder because that's a, that's getting obnoxious. But here it is, they got it. They're now they're now they're just gonna sit here and talk all year about how you know we're just. Little old Clemson in the ACC, we can't, you know, can't earn the respect of those guys over in the big old mighty SEC. But uh, I, I, I love the back and forth. So one takeaway that as it was happening, because no one, no one at the ACC is talking smack about Clemson. Like no one is even trying to take a shot at them. You know, none of the play, like everyone's like, well, you know, they are the standard. We're trying to meet that standard. Like it is, they are unchallenged at this point heading into the 2019 season. And so as it was all going down, I was like, oh my goodness, Alabama and Clemson are in their own conference. They are playing literally like in another league where the, that is where the competition is. They are not, Alabama is not finding itself in many, if any worthy competitors uh, around at SEC and Clemson is not finding it at the ACC. And so when they are trying to fire themselves up and get motivation, they are getting it from each other. And that uh, only further drives home just how unique this particular Alabama Clemson era is where, you know, whether it's in a college football playoff semifinal or a college football playoff national championship, you'll be hard to find many experts when we're rolling out our expert picks who aren't going to at least believe that we could have a fifth postseason meeting between Nick Saban's Alabama Crimson Tide and Dabo Sweeney. Uh, did you see, because the entertainment from the Clemson side started from the jump when uh, John Simpson, very good guard, offensive guard for Clemson, comes walking out to his first Radio Row appearance in a blonde wig. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. They, yeah. Ha- hand-wringing over not bringing Trevor Lawrence, John Simpson shows up in a blonde wig. <laughs> how? How? Like, Clemson still being, like, fun and entertaining and, like, jokey is the biggest upset of them all. Because I was pretty sure that, that, like, this full evolution to Clemson Tigers, the bully, the big dog, almost you know, taking that joyless beat everyone approach. Like I I thought that we were going to be morphing into Alabama, but they are just continuing to prove that they are just, they're the upside down version of it. I think that's the challenge. Like I I think Dabo Sweeney has embraced that challenge of we're going to, we're going to keep this fun at all costs. Like no matter what happens, these guys are going to be having fun. I mean, that's been his, this is mantra throughout is almost this sort of idea that uh you know what if if uh if we can't if if, if we can't have fun or if we gotta lose you know we lose a couple games and that's not good enough for folks i just need to be doing something else i just you know i need to take my you know head on head on back to you know coaching high school football or whatever you know whatever his line is so i, I think they're gonna he is gonna sort of challenge them to keep on having fun and hey good good for him um but yeah, it, it's it's definitely it's definitely still there. And and the element I'll say this too, um, the element of this of this debate or this discussion um, that was stimulated by the Nick Saban comments, right? So the Nick Saban's comments were that it's hard when you have a staff when you have a bunch of coaches that want to be head coaches, and late in the year, you know, they're starting. There, there's distractions. The preparation isn't as good because coaches are worried about their resumes, worried about you know what the next job is, whatever. 
and there was a response and it was led Dan Wolken led it and I don't want to pick I, I say Dan Wolken's name because I don't I, I like a lot of what Dan Wolken brings to the table but this one I disagreed with them because he was coming in strong like another excuse here come the excuses why can't you just admit you've lost to somebody and that's that's sort of the Clemson mantra too is oh I see yeah you were just distracted uh you can't just admit Clemson was the better team. I, I say, like, bring it all. Like, there's always an excuse. Like, yes, Clemson was the better team, but when when a team loses, and when they when a team loses badly, and when the team loses surprisingly badly, there is a reason that that team feels like they didn't play their best. And it, instead of just coaches saying, "Well, we just got outplayed," let's just we got to do the little things better. We got to. You know, there's always a reason why they didn't do the little things better. You know, there's always a reason why they think they weren't well enough prepared. I'm I'm appreciative of Nick Saban uh, outlining some of those reasons and presenting them to us and saying and and it might be an excuse and it might be it, it might be off base, but that's what he thinks and. I want to hear it, and so I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad of it. I'm, you know, I think you can both say Clemson was a better team. Clemson beat our beat our tail, and also I, I, we got to get better in this area. We got to have our coaches more focused because that hurt us in this this cycle playing that really that really good team. I thought that Nick Saban loved having, uh, like, if you're trying to motivate the players on the 2019 Crimson Tide team then that is almost the perfect situation because you're kind of taking the blame, but you're also not personally. Nick Saban gets to go to his locker room and be like, guys, we let you down as a coaching staff. We let you down. And now all of us together, not those other assistants that are gone, but all of us together, we are going to be the ones to make it right. Like He not only has the loss... Uh, to use as some kind of motivation, but he doesn't even he doesn't even have to put the blame on any players because the Ohio State loss in the college football playoff semifinals in the 2014 season, you know, that was the one that he came back and he was like, guys were worried about their NFL draft stock. And I could see that if you're delivering that message at SEC Media Days, there's probably at least a handful and likely more players that are on that next season's team who are friends with those guys who might be like, man, what was that? Like, why, right. what, you know, why are you doing that? That's not the case. Right. That's, oh, I mean, that is not as much of the case here where he gets to tell the players, like, we let you down and we're not going to let you down like that again. Uh, his his catchphrase this year is don't waste the failure. Let's use it as a building block. Like, right. Uh, yeah. I, I thought that Saban's delivery, his message, his, you know, motivational tactics play perfectly into, um, what he is going to be looking to do to try and keep this Alabama team locked out, locked in to go pursue a national championship. Now, in terms of the game, Dabo Sweeney, away from the podium, had uh, an interesting comment. He said, could you imagine if it was the other way around, the stories that would be saying if we were the ones that got beat by 28? That's fair. Like, it's just... I mean, that's... Different if, expectations. If, if that, yeah, if that had happened, it would be... It, it, it would be madness in terms of, like, the death of the ACC and the dominance of the SEC and I mean that's that is a that's a very I think fair and honest point. Uh well let's start right there with uh with SEC and ACC. You want to go uh we got we got Gus talking spicy again. Uh he's <laughs> I'm I I got to tell you, you know, I I backed myself into a we're we're going to be talking about Tom Herman later and I do Gus need, has got your back, dude. I know. Gus has got your back, man. You're good. You're good. <laughs> He said, uh, I've been here like six years and about four of them have all been this hot seat, this hot seat, that I guess it's just part of the job description. <laughs> he, I, I just from, from reading between the lines from Gus's talks, I think, I think Gus likes your pick. I really do. I think yeah, the, the, the schedule is brutal, but there is a, there is a confidence that is, I think apparent. I mean, he said 
he called this defense the best he's ever had at, in what ten years at Auburn, um, and they've they he's 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 taken subtle shots at rivals like 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 Nick Saban. Um, he said what did he he said everybody's going fast these days. Even the ones that had health issues are playing fast. Taking a <laughs> shot at Nick Saban, who used to say that the speed of the game was bad for the health of the players. Um, I think Gus Malzahn showed up with uh, with a little, you know, he 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 was talking spicy. I think that's that's the that's the right phrase right there. I think that uh, I might go ahead and just lock in uh, Auburn to cover against Oregon. I think the game plan they're going to have for uh, for that first game might be pretty awesome yeah i've picked i'm out there have are having already picked oregon but uh very very real possibility that i, I flip over to auburn by the time we get there because uh, that defense is going to be so good legit yeah they're going to be really good it, um i mean my, my pick on that game was about justin herbert versus whoever auburn has at quarterback but they auburn has a way of just in those early games of just making them ugly keeping them close and 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 I think that they're maybe more equipped to win in that game but we'll, we'll see the uh, uh Oregon sometimes has athleticism advantages over conference opponents that it will not have against Auburn right just just not gonna have it um let's see where uh, what else from the SEC stood out to you um SEC let's see I mean I, I thought you know, you know one thing that was startling to me is Joe Moorhead. Talk about a guy that's that had a totally different demeanor year two versus year one. Joe Moorhead was humbled last year. Mm. I mean, he didn't even it, you didn't even have to like it wasn't even applied. Like he straight up said it. He just said like I I got off the the plane last year talking about measuring guys for their ring size and saving a place uh, for for the Heisman Trophy on your your mantle for uh nick fitzgerald and you know i don't regret having those goals and expectations but i did it was not putting them out there like that publicly was not the the right way to approach it because the sec and this conference is so brutal week in and week out that i i, I was just I was a, a, a little bit over my skis on that. And, and like, it, it was, it was a, you don't, it, I mean, you rarely see a coach that's that candidly um, se- uh, self, self deprecating or, or self critical, I guess, um, and in that way. And so I, I thought, like, the whole, just the whole vibe of him on the podium was a very, very um, humbled sort of approach. And while I think he's still like a supremely confident guy in general, I think he 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 had some sort of looks in the mirror um, over the course of the last season uh, when they struggled offensively, and and I think that that played out this year. And so that that's, but I think that's probably a good encouraging sign if you're if you're a Mississippi fan, Mississippi State fan. Th- this is not a guy that is uh, still thinks he. he you know, it was the player's fault or system works or whatever. It, it might, it might cause you to believe that he is going to have some tweaks and adjustments and, and really be motivated for a good year this year to, to kind of put them in the best position. In an industry that is extremely alpha and like you know headstrong and charge forward at all costs, uh, I agree with you. To hear someone walk back like their bold statements. Uh, probably says a lot. I thought, I thought that for Mississippi State there was some messaging to there was some messaging to suggest that we should not make a big deal over the loss of Montez Sweat, Jeffrey Simmons, and some other key players from that defense. I do think they're still pretty strong on the back end, but I, I, I took. Uh, the a look at the humble the humbled words and it probably is a good percentage of what happened last year like you mentioned especially with offensive struggles but it's also got to be looking at that team looking at that schedule and knowing that you can't be going into the 2019 
SEC media days talking like that if this is going to be a season where you might need to win the Egg Bowl to make a bowl game. Right. I mean, I think, yeah, I think the reality of what's in front of them is very real. And I do think that Mississippi State could be potentially better than people realize because I think they do have good players on the defense. They may not be first rounders, but they got really good players on defense. And I think the defense will be good. But, you know, are they dramatically improved at receiver, which I thought was a real weakness last year? They could be. Kylan Hill will be one of the best running backs in the in maybe the country. And Tommy Stevens, I think, allows that offense to be much more functional than it was last year. Um, so what does that all amount to? I don't know. Might it might amount to eight and four, seven and five again. Might amount to six and six. But um, it it's I think there's reason to think this this you know that they're in good shape. Uh, but I think Joe Moorhead has learned not to go out and start predicting that. Um, speaking of being humbled in Charlotte, I felt like that's what I saw from Willie Taggart and the Florida State contingent, where last year, you know, the messaging was all, uh, you know, we're, we, it was all about culture. They were throwing around the word accountability. And there was this idea that, you know, what happened at the end of the last season, the way the bottom fell out, uh, you know, like I, I had to go back and remember that at the 2017 ACC Media Days, going into what would be Jimbo Fisher's final year at Florida State, Florida State, not Clemson, was picked to win the conference, right? I mean, and they were going into that Alabama game, the Alabama opener. Then De- DeAndre Francois gets knocked out of that game in the opener, uh, and then the bottom just kind of falls out. And Jimbo Fisher ends up leaving before the end of the season. They've got to uh, reschedule a game against Southern Miss for the conference championship Saturday just to be able to make a bowl game. And then, you know, they're able to kind of hold things together. And the fact that they had kind of held things together, Willie Taggart comes in and and he really came into last year, 2018's ACC Media Days, being like, all right, we, we identified these problems. The players are on board. We've had incredible buy-in. And then what happened? The team got worse. They went 5-7, and seven, and for the first time in 36 years, Florida State was not in the postseason. And he made some comments that backed up what we've seen. There's been great reporting from Andy Staples and others, and there's been some commentary that we've had here on the podcast too where – Willie Taggart showed up at Florida State, and once things got going, he realized that not everyone was on the same page, and that you know the administration, the coaching staff, the players, the the boosters, getting getting everyone together was uh, was a little bit tough. There was the conversation was all about the lessons that they learned. It was all about uh, realizing that the expectations had fallen short, and then Willie Taggart, in particular, basically trying to. He wasn't trying to distance himself from the Gulf Coast offense, but he certainly was not trying to promote himself as the offensive genius. Really, both he and Tamari Terry, star wide receiver, who was the offensive representative for Florida State, just a lot of uh, expectations set that hiring Kendall Bryles was going to be something that could change what was one of the worst offensive seasons in a long time. Boy, I mean, it's not like Kendall Bryles doesn't already have a um – pretty high stock price right now but i mean what if this what if this what if they go 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 yeah. or something yeah and which isn't it's it's not that hard to fathom i mean it's not hard to envision i mean it's, it's hard to envision them being better than clemson obviously but i mean it's not hard to envision 10 and 2 with this roster and 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 the talent that they've recruited uh and man, what does that what does that say about Kendall Bryles if if that happens? Because they were a mess last year, and I, I've never taken Willie Taggart to be a like he didn't come in. He was very there was a lot of humility about the way he took the job, just sort of admitting this is my dream job. You know, he was emotional when he took it. Um, but I think the the magnitude of what was in front of him probably wasn't evident at that point, and uh, and I'm sure that. He was further humbled with the season that they had, but you know he he did go out and he, he I mean Kendall Browse was heavily coveted by other programs too. He went out and got him. Um, he he made the tough call of allowing Kendall Browse to bring in his offensive line coach. Got rid of a guy that they just hired one year earlier 
that is a Florida State alum in uh, in, in James Frey uh, or, or Fry. And so, I, yeah, I think I'll credit. I'll, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of rooting for Florida State in a way, just because Willie Taggart seems like a good dude, and man, they took some lumps last year, and I, I'm at this point. I'm sort of rooting for the 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 return, you know, the 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 bounce back. I think that Florida State could. I'm not ready to position Florida. I had them in my preseason uh, preseason order finish ballot. I had them third in the Atlantic, behind Clemson and Syracuse. Syracuse, really? Oh, oh! Drop some Syracuse knowledge on me. A. Tommy DeVito is awesome. Really? He's like, what have I been working on this summer? I don't know. My tan. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Jersey is all get out. And he was, he was talking about the recruiting process because he was, I mean, wasn't he like one of the top prospects in the state of New Jersey? He was a, we we made him a four star. Uh, He's like, he's like, well, I'm an Italian. So you know that trust is important. And there was a lot of trust with coach Babers. (laughs) Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I mean, yes, Tommy DeVito is incredible. And uh, Dino, Dino said uh, he and I, I, you know, went back and as I was starting to break it down, I think I'm with him. He was like, I, I think that when he was like ranking uh, the strength of the team, he was like, you know, you guys talk about our offense and you guys talk about how fast we go, but the the strength of our team is on the defense. And he, I was looking, I was like, damn, Alton Robinson is really good. Like that, that whole defensive line for Syracuse last year, when you got him in third and long, they were pass rush monsters and they were really good in the red zone. And so he said that he would rank it defense one, special teams two, because I mean, they've got the Lou Groza award winner. They get, you know, as a freshman last year, right. they had the top place kicker in the country. And he was saying that, uh, their punter is going to be in the NFL. Mark it down now. Uh, and then he was like, and then our offense would be at like, I, I look at that and I'm like, wow. So if I've got confidence that Tommy DeVito is going to be a fun, you know, swagger running this rhythm offense and just getting out there and gaming it to go with a, a defense that Dino Babers really believes in, then yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've got them positioned behind Clemson ahead of Florida state and then that's sort of the the top three tier for me in the ACC's Atlantic Division. Wow, you just really kind of threw my ACC expectations totally up in the air. I I, uh, I was for some like when I've been going through my ACC pit predictions, like I'm getting I'm throwing a lot of L's there next to Syracuse's name, and part of it is probably just I, I'm not having educated myself enough on them yet. I mean. I know they got players, but I, I mean, they they did lose some key ones from last year, and I don't know. Dino Bayer's never been anywhere this long, so uh, this this can he sustain it now? Um, but that's interesting that you got on that high. Uh, right. He was really excited about the uh, the finale of Game of Thrones. He's uh, he loves to draw the connections for the Kingdom of the North and Syracuse being the Kingdom of the North in the ACC. I love that. Yeah, it was. I did not get to play the Dino drop for him. <laughs> well, someday we'll so, get there. We'll get there. I think I think that's got to be something where uh, we got to do it like live on a podcast to get his reaction in the in real time. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So also from uh, from the ACC. I know you visited with him, and uh, I got to spend some time. Also, it's kind of cool. The uh, Mike Flynn was an Appalachian State Sports Information Director, uh, Associate Athletic Director for Media Relations when Coach Satterfield was there. Now he's at Georgia Tech, and uh, I've had a relationship with Mike for a couple years now since uh, going up to Boone and doing some stories there. So I was talking to him, talking to Sat, talking to – and just like everyone – was is seems to be on the same page about this one very important thing um and also talking to louisville's players for a a roster that was emotionally damaged there is no there are there might not be another coach at the power five level that's going to be better 
to inject some love and some positivity and some confidence into those young men than Scott Satterfield. Like no one, and that was, Scott Satterfield said, the very first thing we had to do was love them up. Like we had to put our arm around them. We had, we had to, we had to get them back to feeling good about themselves again. That was the message. And I just, I was like, wow, that, that speaks a lot about where things were with Bobby Petrino, but also gave me a little bit of pause about how quickly I think things can turn around against Louisville. Cause I have been, uh, I've hinted at potentially being, uh, trying to get ahead of when the correction. And I think that year zero is very, very much my expectation for the Cardinals this year. Yeah, probably. But I, I, I think I look at my temptation with Louisville is, is looking at it like this in some ways, this Given what Scott Satterfield's strengths are, this is like the easiest job in the country for him. The easiest repair, like fixer upper in the country for him because it's like going, it's like getting a rescue dog, right? Like yeah. a dog that's just been beaten up, and and um, the the the, the ta- like that dog is gonna love you if you just take care of it, if you just love it up a little bit and give it a home. And it's so funny listening to these quotes now about how. And and listen, the players' quotes I think are more telling than listening to, to Satterfield's quotes. I think the players are saying, you know, Doran Etheridge was like, "I've never, you know, I'm I'm closer with Satterfield in six months than I was in three or four years with uh, with Bobby Petrino." Uh, he, you know, they're talking about how they've never been to a coach's house, and now and they then they go like every week with with Louisville. They're talking about uh, you know, they they've never been to the coaches' offices. All they've been is a team meeting rooms. They've never even been inside a coach's office. Like the 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 level of just total lack of empathy and connection and personal relationship to the team is as has to be at an all time low, and of, of anywhere. Like I can't imagine it was much worse than what it was at Louisville, and so. I want to. I'm trying to look it up. Um, what Louisville's win total was preseason last year? Do you know what it was? I do not, but I can figure out real quick. I'm pulling it up right now. So Louisville's win totals last year was, let's see, seven. They 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 missed by five games. <laughs> they they missed an over by six games. So to think that that this roster was considered, and I know we we're just cut, getting off of the the Lamar Jackson era, but I mean to think this roster was considered a seven win roster, and and then they they didn't cover a game all year long, and they went two, ten, two and ten. You know that makes me think that they're they might be a little closer to to seven than to two if they just if they have that sort of talent and if they have a coaching staff that can get them to believe and the, and I think it's so easy like when I, I, I will always remember James Franklin talking about at Vanderbilt how easy it was to get those guys to buy in when they first got there no one is going to be more prepared to buy in than Louisville because of what they just experienced so it'll be a, it'll be a long road I'm not saying it'll be easier or or obvious that they'll make some sort of big jump i just think i wouldn't put it past them to really surprise some people because of of all those reasons this from uh guest of the podcast bill Connolly. louisville's collapse last year was so stark that not even las vegas could keep up you ready for this yeah they were (laughs) they were underachieved against the spread it's like you know under the average per game Underachieved against the spread by 12 points per game in September, by 20 points per game in October, <laughs> and underachieved against the spread by 21 points per game in November. Not 21 point per game losses, not even covering the spread. Louisville finished the season 1 in 10 against the spread with Vegas continuing to increase those spreads. That, that is an, an amazing stat. To think that Vegas is trying. <laughs> To adjust 
and and put these numbers bigger and bigger to uh, to adjust for what's happening. And Louisville keeps on sinking deeper. Yeah. I mean, talk about uh, uh, a illustration of just a total quit. When I was at the the building, when I visited a, a, a few weeks or months, or whatever it was ago, um, you know, they have teams have like their goal board for every game. You know, it's like win the turnover battle, you know, win third downs or whatever it is. Like you have like five five metrics that you know you win these and you win the game, and the the people in the building were saying that like after week six, like they they just stopped filling those things out, like the the boards and these are like big boards like that are that are like supposed to be motivating you every day you walk in the building, and like they just they just quit putting putting the results up midway through the year because it was just I, I guess there was just too <laughs> too ridiculous and or they didn't care, but I mean just a total. As bad as it was, makes me think that there's there's reason it could get better quickly. Taking a look at some other highlights from the Big 12, what we expect from the Pac-12, Big 10, and more next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay. So, Barton, I am getting uh, I'm getting dragged around by some Texas fans right now. What'd you do? Those, those guys, they can get nasty, those Texas fans. I... Uh, we gotta go to... We, we, we gotta go to Austin this year, man. And, <laughs> and I'm very glad... I'm very glad that... Well, this is, this is where it gets fun. It was on the Texas Win Total podcast which I think was released on Thursday. I mean, just behind the oh, curtain. Oh, yeah, you, you made a Joe Burrow <laughs> over Sam Ellinger comment. Yeah, man. Well, hey, at least the LSU fans will like us when we go to Austin. Um, and, uh, and, and now I'm staring down being in Austin with you for LSU in Texas. <laughs> Joe Burrow against Sam Ellinger. And, and this was like, I, I wanted to address it here because I – I, I won't like walk it back because I I do I am buying a little bit into what Joe Burrow can be and I think that maybe the the indication is that I think Sam Ellinger is trash I don't think Sam Ellinger is trash I I'm buying into how productive Joe Burrow can be that the LSU wide receiving core which is incredibly talented could take a step up and even though they got John Robinson and everything that LSU wants to do, I do think that maybe they'll sling that pill a little a little bit and he'll be playing well. Now, upon retrospect, uh maybe maybe I just let that one fly <laughs> with a little bit less confidence. Uh, uh, I mean they, as as I mean it's a, it should be at least like uh uh you know, a net zero with the the cover three podcast because I went just freaking hard with uh, Sam Ellinger could be the first overall pick in college football if we were drafting a team right so that that should have like at least soothed over just our general podcast uh, listenership but yeah but I might no, I might have that, gone hard because you went hard I right, might have, you had to match <laughs> hard for hard right uh, yeah I mean did you see the 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 um like pictures from big 12 media day from sam ellinger's like media availability it was the the amount of cameras and media personnel and that are around ellinger during his availability was 
he is he's getting some serious star status right now. His 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 star is rising from a profile standpoint rapidly. There is nothing better for Sam Ellinger and for Texas fans than for me and anybody else to just be overlooking him as what he is an iconic Texas quarterback. <laughs> like the chip on the shoulder, you know, like don't like everybody, you know, we, the Roy bus, like the, the, everybody on the outside is a hater and only we're on the inside, the grittiness, the toughness. What does Sam Ellinger do? Well, he wins games. Like all of it is building perfectly into the kind of mentality that Tom Herman and Sam Ellinger want to have going into this season. I mean, Terry Bradshaw's out here at Louisiana Tech, like alumni presser is saying that, that Sam Ellinger is trash. And they're going to they're, they're, they're fuel him up anytime anything like that comes out. That's a, that's a chip on the shoulder kind of guy. So, yes, um, Sam Ellinger is, is he's, the, you know, this could be a fun year for Texas. All right, so what about uh, Tom Herman? Because the the headlines from his time with the media included welcoming a uh, a renewal of the rivalry with Texas A and M. You know, he had to comment on horns down. I, I love I love his like oh yeah, it's great that everybody thinks about us that much. Like that's a that's a that's a very good solid uh, front runner toughy response that I respected. I mean, it I couldn't. Yeah, get, but you know what? You know what else though? He is. <laughs> yeah, it's like a tough guy. Like, yeah, I'm glad everyone thinks about us, and that's great. But at the same time, he is not f- pushing back on that horns down should not be a penalty. He'll take all those 15 yards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. True. <laughs> you know? Yes. Like, yes. he is not shot. He's, you know, I mean, he could very easily say, you know, we don't even care. I mean, bring it on. Horns down all you want. Like, uh, we don't even want it to be a penalty. We'll, 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 we'll beat you with your horns down, and then we'll throw our horns up or whatever. But – he is always like, you know, taunting has no place in football. Um, you know, we just don't like to see taunting. And it's like, all right, man, remember, remember what you did to Drew Locke a couple years ago? Uh, <laughs> you, you're not scared to throw a taunt out there, here or there. So so I think that's just all about like, yes, make it make it continue to be as controversial as possible. Um, because 15 yards. 15 yards. <laughs> uh, I couldn't get us. I didn't. Did you get a sense at all about what Herman thinks this Texas team could be or sort of where they're at right now? No, I couldn't. It was it was hard to say. I mean, I think they, I, you know, Tom Herman always has this quiet, like like he knows something that, that, that you don't know kind of persona. Um, and I think, you know, they got to get the run game going, but they've got some really good young running backs um, I think Herb Hand's got the offensive line heading in the right direction last year, and they got Ellinger. And I think you know defensively is going to be critical. I think they're confident in Todd Orlando. They're confident in the way they've recruited. But I, I, my my vibe from him was sort of like, look, we we think we got some players, but we're not making any promises. You know, we got to let, let's see what happens this you know in August. Um, let, let you know. So I think there was. There's certainly a confidence, but I didn't. I didn't get the sense that they're. He's he's sizing up rings just yet. Um, shout out to Joe Moorhead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Les Miles addressed the uh, Puka Williams is going to receive a one-game suspension for uh, domestic violence allegation and charge. The it it called into question a couple of things, most notably Les Miles' own uh, history, particularly at LSU as a head coach, about players who had been in trouble and the way that that had been handled from a disciplinary standpoint. Now, Les Miles said himself that he remained out of the disciplinary process and that it was something that was handled by the athletic director, Jeff Long, and that... Uh, he has instead tried to take the take the role of being the rebuilder of a human being. And Puka Williams, who was the you know the offensive freshman of the year and was a really big part of you know was the biggest part of Kansas's offense a year ago, and certainly an important part of what they could be if they're going to have success on that side of the ball this year. The Les Miles did not get high grades from the Cover Three podcast for his introductory press conference. 
do you think, did you find yourself swaying at all from any expectations or feelings regarding the Les Miles era year one at Kansas from his time at Big 12 Media Days? No, no. And Les Miles is not the representative that you want to be defending, uh, reinstating a accused domestic violence, um, you know, uh, accused domestic abuser. Um it was not a, it wouldn't it was not a smooth and, and hey it, it's it's a tough sell for anybody but Les Miles just and 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 I don't I mean that's what Les Miles has been for the most part I mean he's going to when guys have issues he's typically going to let them back on now there there weren't any sort of you know I I don't want to I I don't want to present a picture that like Les Miles was has an Art Bryles background, but he's but he certainly has a forgiving background to the players uh, at LSU, and so that he that he let Puka Williams back on the team is not surprising. That he didn't have the best explanation for it is less surprising. Um, but I, you know, I, I still just think that this Les Miles thing is is going to be entertaining, and I'm not co- confident it's going to be any more any more than that. Uh, anything else from the Big 12 that stood out to you? Uh, I thought there was one funny soundbite where uh, one reporter asked Lincoln Riley, the question was phrased in, in a manner of, hey, coach, uh, we all know that your offense is going to take a dip this year. Uh, can your defense step up and, and, and take a step forward to compensate? And Lincoln kind of looked around and sort of thought about it for a minute, and he, and he said, well, we don't expect the offense to dip. But <laughs> to your second point, you know, almost like get out of here, Buster. You know, who, who you think you like? You know, who you're talking to. Um, so I thought that was funny. I mean, there's still a lot of confidence. I think there should be. They got a. They got some absolute. Like it's all about offensive line for them because I. And and you know what? We got to talk Danny Cannell at some point. Danny Cannell's out here spouting out about he doesn't think Jalen hurts hurts is. Is good. Like he was saying, like he was acting like Jalen Hurts may not even be able to keep the job, and like Tanner Mordecai or Spencer Rattler may may end up beating him out in the middle of the year. I gotta, I gotta talk to Danny about that. I, I think Jalen Hurts is going to be. Um, I mean, it, it's a tough pace to keep up with Kyler Murray, but I don't expect a major drop. I, I think they, that offense will be still really, really good as as long as that offensive line is not a huge step back. I mean, that's all I'm worried about is. It, you know, I think Jalen Hurts can can run that Lincoln Riley stuff. It's the offensive line that's got to continue to 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 maintain that level of play. Do you want to hear? Uh, I this I'm I'm I'll I'll just let the, let this one fly out there. Uh, you want to hear a good Lincoln Riley story? And I'm not gonna and I'm not gonna say that this is a sources. This you know this is this this tall tale around the campfire time. You want to hear a Lincoln <laughs> Riley story? Yeah, yeah, let, yeah. Hit me up. Um, in 2014, ECU beat uh, UNC 70 to 41. Do you remember that game by any chance? No, I don't. 70 to 41. ECU rolled up a school record 789 yards of offense on the Tar Heels that day. And it happened to really bring joy to. Uh, the, the mind and the life of then ECU offensive coordinator Lincoln Riley. And that was because Lincoln Riley, the in the offseason prior, had been in discussions to take a job on Larry Fedora's staff as the offensive coordinator. The offer, I don't know what the offer was, but when he went to Ruffin McNeil as a, you know, courtesy to just say, hey, you know, this is what they've got, this is what they've offered me, the way the story goes, and again, this is tall tale, uh, is that Ruffin, whether it was specifically out of his salary or whether he had to do some moving and shaking, was able to get Lincoln enough money to to match it, I believe, and then North Carolina either would not go higher or did not counter, and so Lincoln Riley loved nothing more uh, after mm-hmm. flirting with UNC than to roll up 789 yards of offense on him and show him what they missed. So a motivated Lincoln is a good Lincoln. Very good Lincoln. <laughs> I just, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. He's been a little bit of a killer for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that. Maybe that uh, reporter was just a plant out there by like uh, 
uh, Bob Stoops or somebody that wants to make sure Lincoln's focused. Uh, you Bob. know, that was, yeah. I mean, he, I'm not, I'm, I'm just so, so, so unworried about this Oklahoma offense taking a, taking a, any, any dip that's, that's actually significant. Uh, Pac 12 will be coming up next week. Uh, I think that, I'm not expecting to hear anything from Clay Helton, but man, I'll be trying to take the temperature of, you know, what the confidence level is and what kind of expectations that he's setting. Uh, what else do we have? Chip Kelly. Yeah, I want to see. I want to hear if Chip Kelly is, you know, pulls. I mean, Chip Kelly can 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 kind of be a, a dick sometimes. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in hearing if he's sort of like quietly confident and. And sort of, you know, what 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 the vibe is from Chip Kelly, um, and let's hear if, let's see if Kyle Whittingham's ready to live up to to my eleven one hype. <laughs> <laughs> I want to. Uh, Chris Peterson is, does not love media days, and, and you know isn't going to offer a whole bunch. But with the 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 Jacob Eason question is fascinating, and also shout out to uh, Washington fan listeners who seem to be amazed that um, somebody from North Carolina and somebody from Tennessee would have an idea of what's going on with Washington football, but the internet's a great thing and it's allowed us to keep up with the details. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what we've got in terms of if, if Chris Peter, Chris Peterson's going to say it's an open competition, but if they get into the details of it, I want to hear what he has to say about each of those quarterbacks in that room. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're not in on Jacob Eason. I want to be right. I want to be. I I just I haven't heard enough like really good buzz out of there. To I mean, he's I feel like he's. We should be here. We should be hearing about him like throwing it through brick walls at this point. Like you know, we should be hearing like the stories about how every, you know defenders, defensive backs are just at a loss with how to slow down Jacob Eason. Um, I mean, this this is the time of year where it's like. The, you know, the legend should be growing. It's not growing enough for me yet. So I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that we get there. All right. So next week we will have Tuesday ACC part one, then the other division on Thursday. Uh, any, anything else before we get out of here, Bart? Uh, no, I gotta, I gotta go redo all my ACC predictions now. So, uh, I got, I gotta get rolling. Our defense is outstanding. <laughs> He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Deserve.